Hello, my name's James Pikeway, and I'm the host of Creative Mornings right here in Dubai. You're listening to the Creative Mornings Dubai podcast. What you're going to hear is a conversation with Mohammed Parham Alawadi. This is the May 2021 talk, the theme resilient. It's interesting. It's fun. It's different. It is not a conventional presentation that we typically have at Creative Mornings. It is more of an interview, a Q&A. Mohammed takes us on a journey, a journey from when we first met at TEDx Dubai in 2009. We talk about television and the Pita Planet show. We talk about the first round of entrepreneurship in the food industry with Wild Pita. We talk about Wild Pita 2.0. We talk about where Mohammed is today and the thing that constantly you're going to hear. The thing that is going to resonate for you is that Muhammad is rather resilient. You're going to love it. It really is a great talk, and I'm very excited to present it to you. Here we go. This is Creative Mornings in Dubai, May 2021. Resilient is the theme, and our speaker, Muhammad Parham Alawadi. I want to kick this off, and we 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 want to we want to we want to get personal. We want to we want to talk about resilience, and we want to talk about the things that have happened in your life that, in many cases, and you know the the, the you and your brother Wild Pita, people will notice it's not around. We'll talk a little bit about that. That that alone, that story, that situation, which we're not going to necessarily go into, but it's up to you, is enough to make someone say. I've had it. I'm done. <laughs> I, that, but you're sitting here. I've mentioned the words. It's the story's going through your mind, and you're smiling. You're laughing, and you're resilient. So I want to kick this off with just a, a very, very simple. Let you let you warm up a little bit. Mm. When I when we asked you to come and speak on this theme of resilience, what what was going through your mind? Well, like just listening to you telling me all the things I've done exhausted me. <laughs> I th that's all, folks. That's it. That's the end of the interview. <laughs> I don't think I could bear speaking about it. But I don't know. I, like, I, I think I, it's because I, I look at life as not, not like a mountain that you have to summit and get to the peak. I think of it as a, a journey, just an ongoing journey. It's a path. It's always a path. And uh, every one of these things that you just talked about and, and before are, are stops, you know, and sometimes there's a block, you know, and, and sometimes there's a hump and you just need to get over it. You need to find a way to get over it. So I think movement is, is a big part of how I think, you know, I, I think when you're stationary in every sense, physical and, and uh, mental, spiritual, whatever it is, uh, you you literally don't get anywhere. So there's always got to be movement. Even if there is a giant wall in front of you, you can find a way to maybe get around it, maybe get through it, you know? Uh, so, and, and I think the other thing is, I, for me, I, I, I feel uncomfortable asking people what they do because I don't know what I do. Yeah, so I've done so many things in my life, and I and I and usually when I tell people all the things that I've done, they're like, "Oh, jack of all trades." I'm like, "What are you, Shakespeare? Like, what, what the hell does that mean?" No, I I think you know, 
I, I have a deep curiosity about many things. I think of how it's, it's been a privilege to be able to pursue them. Uh, did I think that I was gonna make film, like travel around the world, visit every continent, wearing the Kandora, and that Google and Intercontinental Hotel and the top uh, broadcasters in the UAE were gonna fund the entire thing? No. But did I want to travel around the world and meet cool people like yourselves, you know, and listen to their stories and learn about their culture and their history? Yeah, you know, so, so it was a means for me. So, so some of these things that I've done was, was a means. So I, I, in the case of film, I, I wasn't pursuing uh, filmmaking. Okay, hold, hold on a second. I want to I back up for yeah. just a second because we want to talk about this. Mm. Tell us, tell us how you, I mean, you're, you, you went to Maokeb, you and your brother ended up in the U.S., ended back here. Well, what's your background? So, so I was, I never fit into the school system. So, <laughs> Surprise. Uh, yeah, I, and it's really funny because I, I looked at my report card from junior three or grade three. I went to a Catholic school, by the way. Um, and, and I looked at my report card and every one of them, like since the beginning said, Mohammed is smart, but you know, he daydreams a lot and he needs to apply himself more. And that was, that was my theme throughout high school. And uh, I, you know, I, I just didn't fit in. And, and I, I think what, what changed for me was, and what helped me was that curiosity. I, I was always curious about everything, about the world, about how things worked, about people. You know, and I found ways to, to acquire this knowledge. And I, I think one of the you know, most extra extraordinary things that we have today is access to knowledge. Like literally anybody, anywhere in the world has access to knowledge, whether it's through a phone or whether it's through a laptop or whatever that is. But pre, you know, 1995, it wasn't, it wasn't so. Um, so if I feel like, if I'm interested in cutting hair, uh, so by the way, I've started to cut all my siblings' hair because I was curious, like, how do you do that? How does that work? So I watched a shit ton of YouTube videos, yeah? And then I learned exactly what tools I need. What is, what is the system? Like, how does this whole thing work, you know? And then it was a matter of convincing them that I can give them a haircut. You know, and, and, and this is a funny example, but you could apply that to literally anything, you know, whether it's AI or whether it's machine learning or what robotics, like whatever it is, you could learn about whatever. And I think as a result, we can aspire to be whatever we want. So t tell us, building on that, and we want to get back to the film, and, and obviously you've indicated like you can learn how to do anything. So. Resilience is all about yourselves, and I want to. I want to jump back. There's two two things that are on my mind. First, the siblings, because when I think of payment, when I think of Sahar, when I think of uh, Bliss, we'll just still call him. Is he still still? Not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bliss Mar Marwan. Marwan, but he's a DJ. He forces us to call him DJ Bliss. <laughs> <laughs> Is, is, <laughs> yeah, we, we can't even say, hey, what's up? We have to say, yo, what up? <laughs> like, 
is, is this whole is this whole is there is there is your family have a DNA of resilience? Because that, everyone seems to jump and weave and duck and dive into new things, it's almost like it's an organic, natural phenomenon. Yeah, I I, I think I, I don't I. I guess you can call it DNA, but I, I think it's also evolution. If you come from this part of the world, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard part of the world, right? It's a harsh part of the world. And what I mean is it's, it's desert, you know, it, and of course there's, there's sea. And I think uh, if, if you think back hundreds and even thousands of years, you had to be resilient to live, to make it. You had to find food. You had to find water. So if anything, I think it's part of our evolution. And I think it's the same to even like people who have uh, immigrated or migrated to the Americas or to Australia, you know, that's resilience as well. You know, they had to travel to a new land, learn everything new and make it work, you know, figure out a way. So, so I, I think it's definitely a, a trait that people have in this entire region. We are resilient and we should not forget that. Well, Peter, when we met in 2009, you were up on stage, your brother, your sister, you were telling us about this phenomenal idea, great crack tea, great iced teas. Wild PETA had a, a very interesting story. Tell us about that part of your life and what it taught you. So. So wild pita, like if I were to explain the power of wild pita, it was the, the second most powerful Twitter brand in the entire Middle East, as, as uh, stated in a report by the U.S. Department of State. <clears throat> so that's how powerful wild pita was. And, but to our community, it was just these two Emirati guys who were you know, trying to start up this fusion shawarma restaurant. You know, and uh, what a lot of people don't know is Wild Pita was, I, I can't remember now, something like eight or nine years in the making, speaking about resilience. So for nine years, we tried to raise funds. We went to banks, we went to people, uh, and everybody thought it was stupid. You know, uh, what? What do you want to do to the shawarma? So no. ju just in case someone is, is watching and they're going, what is a shawarma? So leave. If you're asking that question, just leave. Bottom right, red button, leave. And then go to wiki and type in shawarma. Okay. There we go. All right. No one's wondering. So here you have this eight years in the making, trying to get this idea going, constantly being told, no. No, people laughing, they're going, but you know, Ahmed over at Murdiv Cafeteria is doing it, why do I want to get yours? That's enough to make most people after you know, two months go, yeah, okay, this, this idea's not working. Yeah, I, I, it was, you know, and we, we came close a couple of times. A couple, I remember a couple of times we, we put our, so, so this one time we, uh, we decided we would get a loan from a financial institution, a bank, and uh, they called us in and we're like, whoa, this is gonna happen. So once we went in, the, I remember the executive, he told us that, listen, we are not gonna fund <laughs> your restaurant, but if you wanna buy a top of the line Range Rover, <laughs> we got you. 
We got you. I hope we're like, but listen, that's the money. That's how much we want for this restaurant. Why don't you fund this restaurant? And that that mentality was not there, you know. So, you know, that appetite for risk was not there, you know. And it, let's break it down. If you know, if people keep buying Range Rovers rather than start some a business that is a side income or that's sustainable, that in itself is not sustainable. Right, so stop buying Range Rovers, people. Start something, you know, uh, a side income, whatever it is. Even if it's a few hundred dollars a month, whatever, you know. Um, so, but that's what we went through. But we just didn't give up. And and I don't know what it is. You know, I, maybe it's because, like me personally, I'm a, I'm a most of the time I'm an optimist. You know, so uh, as soon as I get rejected, I forget, and then I'm I'm back. You know, uh, and does it mean it doesn't hurt? Does it mean that it doesn't discourage you? Yeah, of course it does. In so the moment. what do you do with that? Like, how do you, I mean, eight years, you've got people who want to give you Range Rovers instead of giving you money to start this up. There was a, a water damage when you were in Healthcare City, closed you down for quite, I mean, every time I turn around and I think the Wild Peter brand is like awesome. And there's something being thrown at you to make you go, by the way, that's the name of my new book. It's called The Arab Who Sold His Range Rover. <laughs> if you're a publisher, reach out to me. <laughs> You'll find me on Instagram. Uh, but as you think about it, so what, but what keeps you, what kept you going? Um, and, and your brother, what kept you guys going? Because constantly, I mean, as you said, yeah, I compartmentalize, I throw it away, and I, I, I'm an optimist. But this isn't just one thing. This yeah. is over and over and over. I, I think you have to fall in love with, with the journey. And <laughs> it's, it's metaphysical bullshit. <laughs> but, in 4K. Yeah, in 4K. Um, but you do. You know, I, and I do. I love the journey. You know, I, I, loved, I loved going to the bank and speaking to that person. You know, and I didn't love getting rejected, but it was part of the story. It was the downs, and then I, you know, and then there's going to be ups and so forth. Um, it took two years to get Peter Planet a green light. So all these these people that I just talked about, Google and and you know, two forty four and uh, Dubai Media and Intercontinental, that took two years. Okay, two hold, years hold on, hold on. Wait, we we we've got the the, the shawarma shop. The boutique shawarma shop, and we'll we'll come back to that. In in the midst of all that, Peter Planet comes about. That's that's a that's a television phenomenon. That's an online phenomenon. Give us the the overlap, the where all this comes about, and and how this happened. Because as you said, you're you're constantly looking for another outlet. So what we realized after operating Wild Peter for four years was. You know, we had built an incredible community, a global community, and at, at that time it was Twitter-based. Uh, there was no Instagram, uh, or it was it, it had just come up. Uh, YouTube, there was hardly anything. You can you couldn't find a fraction of what you can find on YouTube today. So, and uh, Facebook, people were just pissed off with Facebook. You know, um, so so for us, we saw this incredible community, yeah? And by the way, we built that community by spending zero money, zero money. It was just pure love. 
receiving love, giving love to the community, supporting them, and then they support us, right? That's how we did it. And I, I think that's how you must always do it. Like if, if you want to uh, create awareness and, and boost posts and stuff like that, that's supplementary. That's over and on top of what you do. But at the core, it's love. And we built this incredible global community. And um, like any startup, you know, while PETA was a startup, and what we did was we scaled too fast, too big. That was one of the biggest lessons I learned from Wildpita. We went in there with this uh, corporate business plan. I, you know, it was like, I don't know, like 40, 50 pages and, you know, and had all these financial projections. And literally on the first day, we had to dump it in, in, in the toilet. You know, because life changes and so must you, right? You can't stick to like a... 10-year business plan. That's like when somebody tells me they have a 10-year business plan, I'm like, what did you do last year, brother? <laughs> what are we doing today? <laughs> or I say, COVID-19, brother. You know, so it's, I think it's ridiculous. So I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great way to visualize what you want to do, but probably it's not going to go according to what you want to do. So, so for us, uh, we... we we grew too fast, we scaled too big, and uh, we couldn't manage that business. The operation, it was out of control. Like we, too many stores, too many staff, too many products, too, too many. And uh, around the same time, we had this opportunity with the PETA Planet. Uh, we'd been working on it for two years and they gave us a green light. And we said, look, we have this great community. You know, why don't we park Wild PETA? Why don't we park it? We've learned so much from it, why don't we park it? And why don't we, uh, what's, what's the word that the entrepreneurs use? Pivot. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we pivot and, and turn it into this show about these two guys who started a, a, a fusion shawarma place in Dubai, the Emiratis, and now they're going to travel the world and meet people like, you know, like you guys, people in, in, in their community. And that's how Peter Planet started. In, in the whole pivoting point, and this is a question that comes from, from Maha actually, is how difficult is it to real, when, when does the realization come in that we have got to park this and we got to move on? And, and whether it be Wild PETA, whether it be PETA Planet, whether it be, a, I mean, you, you've had many different things that you've done and there all, it seems to always come a time where either it evolves, it changes, or you decide, I gotta walk away. Yeah. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about how, how that decision works and, and what you learn from it, letting go, and, and the challenges of it? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I definitely, I struggle with permanence and I, I think everything evolves, absolutely everything evolves. So I don't look, I didn't look at Wild PETA as it's over, you know, I, I looked at it as, okay, it's going to evolve. <clears throat> we called it, I mean, we, we described it as we're going to park it for now, we're going to stop the business or whatever that, but that does not mean it's going to end. Right? It's just a step in that evolution. And where was it going to go in the future? We didn't know, but we knew there was something, something. You know, so, and, and I think you, you have to apply that to everything. Nothing is, oh, that, it's all over. That's gone. You know? Nothing's over. Nothing's over. Everything, I mean, you learn from everything. 
and I, I think it played a piece in wherever it is that you you want to go. Um, and 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 I apply that to to everything in my life. Everything is an evolution. Everything is a, a learning curve. Um, so and and go, it goes back to my curiosity, you know, and, and why I love to learn about so many things. Someone's going to look at you, and they're going to say, "Okay," but and I'm I'm, I'm harping on this because there there was some bad blood happened with Wild Peter. How do you not hold a grudge? How do you not? I mean, I I have talked to lots of entrepreneurs who have had situations where partners have stabbed them in the back and people have moved in and done hostile takeovers and, and, and the list goes on and, and they can be real angry and that can be the end of their curiosity because now their sole goal is to wreak vengeance and havoc on those people who did this to them. You, I mean, maybe you already answered the question says it's love, but how, how, how do you deal with that? I think, you know, you, it hurts, and uh, I, I don't think, I don't want to gloss over anything. It definitely hurts when you, when you build something and it's, it's just taken from you. Uh, it definitely hurts. But I think we also have a choice, you know, so, and, and I always like not to dwell uh, in this pool of regret and anger and all these things. And that's, that is gonna happen for a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of time, but you, you can't dwell in it. You have to move on, you have to move on. And going back to how you perceive things, that it's an evolution. And, and what, what you're referring to is, even though we, we shut down Walpita in 2012, we reopened just a, a few years ago, and it was everything, we did everything right we, we, what is the English way of saying it? We righted everything we wronged. You know, that's Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> Hamlet, page 89. Uh, yeah, Sheikh, exactly. So, so everything we learned from Wapita 1.0, we implemented in Wapita 2.0. And it changed how I, I perceived everything. You know, I, I thought, oh, we made such a mistake with Wapita One, we could never correct it. And then there we were. You know, everything we wanted to, to, to be, we became, because we learned from Wapita 1.0. And, and I, I think we, we all have that ability, you know, to look at something and not think of it as, oh, it's gone, it's a waste, I screwed up, oh, I'd never want to talk about it ever again. I think we all have the opportunity to, to dig, dig, dig it back, clean it off, and try again at one point in the future. Not obsessively, but when the time is right. So, but again, uh, you know, it, it was a, a point in our path, and it, it happened with Wapita, and, and we, we moved on. You talked about travels, and I remember a phone call from you about eight months ago, nine months ago, talking about something new, something different. And you explained to me how this idea came to you, this something new, something different, traveling and having a conversation. And I think this, this becomes really interesting how people you've met while you're traveling have influenced you 
influence change in you that only could happen in that moment, in that space, in that time. Can you talk a little bit about how travel has, has impacted on you with yeah, Data Planet? I, I, there is definitely something that I, I can't explain, and uh, it's not science, you know, it's definitely, I, I don't know what it is. There's something about movement, and it's, it's movement within your house, it's movement within your, your neighborhood, your city, your country, across countries. There's something about that that opens paths. And, uh, and, I, and I can't explain it. It just does. And, and I want everybody to try it. Everybody. When you're feeling stuck, when you're feeling like, oh, I have zero opportunities, every door is shut, try just movement. And whether it's getting on your bike and just heading out, you know, going for a walk, whatever, get lost within your neighborhood or your city or travel to another country, get lost there. There's something about that. And I think the, the result of that is you receive opportunity. And, and I can't explain it, but it's happened every time, not just to me, but to everybody that I speak to about it. They just don't realize it. You know, we, that we call it, oh, I got lucky. And yes, we do get lucky, you know, but there's something about movement. And that's why I love travel so much. You think, the, you think the luck is maybe you recognized the invitation that's being presented to you through the movement, through the travel, through the, the conversation that connects a few dots. I, I think, you know, part of it is the luck of being in the right place at the right time. But also there is the luck of getting your, yourself to the right place at the right time as well. You know, and the chances of luck increase the more places you are, right? So I, I, I really recommend if you're stuck right now, mentally or whatever it is. There's a lot of people stuck right yeah, now. Move, move, just walk, walk in your garden, you know, walk around your neighborhood and uh, you're, we're, we're in the pandemic, so if, uh, across the country, and, and just observe, think, meet people, speak to people, ask them about them. And I promise you, opportunities will unfold. Can, can you give us an example of how this is, has happened for you? Something a little more concrete. So in 2009, it was December. Uh, it was early, early December and it was the national day. And we had just opened Walpita uh, in October, just a couple of months before. And we were 10 months late opening Walpita because it's just hell opening up a restaurant. Uh, so we're like, you know, it took us eight years to get funded, you know, another 10 months to open, you know, we deserve a break. Uh, so, so we decided, you know, what, what can we do? Uh, it, again, 2009, we just opened and, and you know, and my brother and I were like, listen, why don't we just, why don't we just ask our social media community to pick a place on the map and we'll just travel there and do that for a few days. And this is 2009, right? So uh, we, I don't know if you guys remember, but we posted on Twitter and we're like, listen, it's the national uh, holiday, uh, national day, pick a place on the map, but we shouldn't need visas, okay? And we will go there tomorrow. And we will tweet. We're using Twitter and uh, Blackberries at that time. 
Uh, check out BlackBerry on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, BlackBerry. Um, so immediately, a list of countries, Singapore, blah, 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 and somebody said Sing uh, Sri Lanka. We're like, well, okay. Literally, that evening, we got Sri Lanka as a tweet. We bought tickets uh, the next morning, and we headed out to Sri Lanka. We knew nothing about Sri Lanka. This is this is before, you know, everybody's traveling now and Instagramming and you know, like, this is before all of that, right? So it was 2009 December, and we just hit. We, it, I, I remember just arriving in Colombo Airport, and I looked at Paymon, my brother, and I'm like, holy shit, what do we do now? <laughs> we have no plans, you know. It's it's not like you could go online and you can find all these places. It didn't exist. So we're like, uh, hey guys, our community, you got us into this. <laughs> Where do we stay? What do we, who do we meet? How do we get around? And for the next three, two or three days, three days, they, our community, our virtual community, arranged for everything in Sri Lanka. So we started at uh, the Gaul Hotel in Colombo, which is an old colonial hotel, beautiful. They told us which restaurant to eat, to eat at in Colombo. They organized a car and uh, a driver, which was somebody's uncle. And we covered a quarter of Sri Lanka. We went all the way down to, uh, I think it was called Gol also. It's an it's a old uh, Dutch uh, lighthouse. We stayed at these beautiful bed and breakfasts. We went to the Temple of the Buddha's Tooth in Kandy. We walked through tea plantations. We met the little, it was incredible. And just for the heck of it, to keep uh, all our conversations on Twitter organized, we used the hashtag PETA Planet. Wild PETA, Lonely Planet, PETA Planet. And we took photos and, and our community was like, oh my God, we feel like we're traveling through you guys and this is amazing. And. I remember the last day at the at Colombo Airport, and my brother and I we were looking at each other. We we're like, "This should this should be a TV show, and it should be called Peter Planet." Oh my goodness! <laughs> so so that just that and Peter Planet. It took us two years to convince all these people to to support us, but we ended up getting fifty million viewers. Fifty million viewers globally. It was incredible. It was incredible. Did I expect this? Did I know this? Did I have a plan? No. What helped? Movement. Movement. Wow. <laughs> Do we have any questions coming in on our, uh, our feed, by the way? How, how, when, I, when I think of all this, you, know, you reach that point, 50 million viewers. How do you follow up on these things? I mean, is, do, do, you, do you feel stressed? Do you feel apprehension? Do you feel what's next? There's, there's expectations? Or do you have another approach I, to that? At that time, I was just, I, I just, you know, I was purely hanging out with Jay-Z and Beyonce. And uh, see, everybody thinks you're serious <laughs> when you wear a kandora. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think it, it goes back to, for me, it was a means, right? So yes, it would be cool to create this show. Yes, it would, it would be amazing to produce it, to write it and, and, and whatnot. 
yes, we knew nothing about filmmaking. Like, we're not filmmakers. By the way, everything we learned uh, about making Peter Planet, we learned from 2454. Uh, the guys at uh, Dubai Media Inc. So they supplemented us, they, they helped us, and YouTube. So we studied film. So those, those are the three things, 2454, Dubai Media Inc., and YouTube, and YouTube. Are your, were your school. Right, right, absolutely. So, so for me, it was, you know, it, it was about travel. Like, it was about me being a kid again. Uh, six, or not six, eight, eight years old, looking at, at, the, at maps and imagining what people are like and what are they doing around the world. For me, it was that. It wasn't the show, it wasn't being on TV, it wasn't you know, any of that, the numbers or, or whatever it was. And going back to my analogy of, it, I didn't think of it as a summit. You know, oh, you know, we've reached a summit. I thought of it as another stop on my path. And, that, and there's more. There's always going to be more. Mm. Where are you going now? Man, if I knew, <laughs> I, I'm just moving. I'm just moving. Uh, so I, I'm uh, notorious for testing stuff, coming up with you know, new businesses and, and, and whatnot. And, and I encourage everybody to do that, especially today. It's so easy. It's so easy to start a business. It's so easy. And, uh, and I have a, I've learned a lot from everything that, that uh, I've been involved with and I, I've developed philosophies. And I always tell people, if you're gonna do something, ask yourself, is it simple? Is it cheap? Is it fast? You know, and uh, if it's not cheap, then you need to ask yourself, how do I make it cheap? If it's not fast, how do I make it fast and simple? Because um, I, I think, uh, there is a there's a lot of trial and error involved in businesses. You know you shouldn't invest a, a lot in doing one thing because you don't you don't know whether you want to do it in the in in the medium to short term. You know and you don't know whether it's going to work out. So you want to keep it simple, cheap, fast. Test it. Simple, cheap, fast. Okay, you can't use that at home. I've trademarked it. <laughs> it's, in my, it's in my book. <laughs> The hour who sold his Range Rover. <laughs> Simple, cheap, fast. Yeah. Simple, cheap, fast. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have a question here. Can I give you an example of Simple, Cheap, Fast? Yes. With, with, uh, with Wild Pita, we had this crazy idea of, of making this custom made teppanyaki grill. You, you've gone to a Japanese restaurant, yeah. right? And you know, and so we said that's what we need to make, and it has to be the best in the world. And we we must have spent tens of thousands of dollars, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. Okay, and and we we got it, and we put it there. We used it, and uh, we found out that shit, we didn't need it whatsoever. And what happened was. We just took out that entire process and we just straight put the ingredients in the sandwich. <laughs> so there's 10,000, yeah. So, but if we had followed the simple, so cheap, cheap, fast methodology, you know, that wouldn't have happened. And going back to traveling around the world, you see things. And one of the, th one of the things that I always observed in, in uh, Thailand, in Cambodia, in uh, Vietnam, and, and for me, these guys are the elite of entrepreneurs, it's street food vendors. 
right? You, you walk up to them and you just, just watch them. They have an entire business out of a clay pot. They don't have fancy knives or a chopping board, a hundred ingredients, a menu, lights. They have one person, one knife, one spoon, a clay pot, and a wok. They don't even have fuel. They have wood. You know, they don't have gas, and they don't have you know. So you know, going back to when you when you move, you observe these things, and then you take it and you you file it, and then you implement it. And when we did Wapita 2.0. It was all about simple, cheap, fast, and how can we replicate how those guys were doing it on the street? You know, because at the end of the day, um, you know, everybody talks about follow your passion, start a business, or whatnot. But you also want to earn a shitload of money. You wanna, you wanna be wealthy, yeah, not for the sake of being wealthy, because, but because wealth affords all the things you love for yourself and for the people that you love, and to do all the things that you love. Sorry, question. Here, 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 here. Thank you for that. That was really interesting. So I'm going to move us back a little bit to a comment that you made at the beginning of our talk. And it's actually about something you said you hate, which I can relate to. Um, you said you hated it when somebody asked you what it was that you do, right? And I can totally relate to that. But I was just wondering how you address it. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> no, this one time. Oh no, I'm not going to say that. Okay. No. But yeah, no, it's it's really difficult. It's really difficult because, and especially especially there was a time where I, I wanted to get back into the job market, and uh, if you looked at my LinkedIn. Like you'd be like, what the hell does this guy do? Like I can't box this guy. And I, I think this is gonna be the future. I, I think like because of our access to knowledge, all sorts of knowledge, you're gonna see CVs that are very diverse. You know, so and the problem is today HR departments don't recognize that. They they are trained to hire people or they associate value like in a very linear sort of way. So you started as a marketing executive, now you're a marketing CEO. Makes sense, this is your value. But they can't look at a CV and say, holy crap, you navigated through all of these industries and this is where you are today, that's super valuable. And, and I think we're going to see more of that going forward because people are curious. Curiosity is a big part of every one of us. Um, so to answer your question, I don't know what I do, you know, and uh, I have no idea. I, I really don't. I, I really don't. But I'm loving the adventure. The problem is I can't uh, say that to an HR manager. <laughs> So we have questions from the audience, but just a quick comment on what you said. So you are a natural generalist compared to a specialist. So this is something of great value. Well, well I, don't, I don't know about that. So I, I am a, so it, it's deeper than that. So I, I really like to understand things in a very in-depth way. And, 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 I, and I was kind of, I wasn't joking about, <laughs> I do cut hair, by the way. <laughs> 
I'm not saying you guys need haircuts, by the way. That was my other question. How did you convince your siblings? Because I've been trying to convince my husband since the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's always one sucker. Uh, and, and, it's, and then, you know, you build on that. But, you know, so, but uh, I, I studied it, like, deeply. And I didn't need to. I really didn't need to. But I, I wanted to understand, you know, what, what is the difference between a great haircut and a mediocre haircut. And I, and I apply that to everything. So my, so my curiosity, I, I could have a conversation about blockchain. You know, I can, I can have a conversation about cryptocurrency. So because I'm deeply curious about that, I'm, I could have a conversation about black holes, you know, and, uh, you know, and what, or whatever that is, you know, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, we're gonna see, I think we're gonna see more of that. And I am starting to see more of that. I'm looking at CVs of people and they started off in supply chain, you know, and now they're in, uh, uh, what, what, like AI or something like that, you know, and, and it's, it's so different, you know? And so pursue your, I think, pursue your curiosities, whatever it is, whatever it is. And I think it makes you more valuable. You know, and, and to me, I look at life as everything is connected. You know, so, so the more I know about more things, you know, the more I can understand people and why are things happening the way they're happening. And see opportunities. Yeah. Mm. So the comment was Renaissance man. I would think even before Renaissance, like polymath, even as, as early as 9th century, even for mass, even perhaps was an astronomer, he was the first person to test flying before Leonardo da Vinci, 600 years before. Yeah. He was a mathematician, a poet, all sorts of things. So these people are, like what you said, generalists, but a deep generalist, right? They go into detail. Um, See, those, that, those guys excite me. Yes. I want to hang out with yes. those guys, right? Yes. <laughs> me too, take me with Yeah, you. I don't want to hang out with John from finance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next uh, question. Going back to managing anger and frustration at being stuck, aside from movement and love, are there any other tips to manage these emotions? Frustration and? Anger and frustration at being stuck. Mm. <clears throat> it's, so, it's so difficult, right? So one thing that's helped me in the past... Uh, like seven years or so is I've started uh, changing uh, my my rituals, my my schedule in my in my life. So I I start I'm meditating more. But let me start from the beginning. So I wake up at four thirty, right? I wake up at four thirty, and my wife hates me. You know, she's like, "Your alarm is going off. Why are you waking me up?" And so I wake up at 4.30 because I want to have a moment with zero disruption, just absolute peace, just to think, right? And I, I, I feel that is the most, if, if somebody asks you what is your, our, our most valuable resource, it's time. It's time. Our time, your time, right? And I, I say guard it and give it to those or those, the people who, that matter or, or to things that matter. So that time in the morning gives me 
time to think. You know, what's happening? Why? I've started meditating a lot more. So just take a moment and you can put in your earbuds, pick a corner, close your eyes, and, and just listen to whatever it is that you want to listen to. Meditation, there's, there is, there's a science behind it and it works. You know, it's, it's not just like tree hugging. It works. Even that works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to some degree. I hug trees too. <laughs> So, yeah, it's true, it, it does. So, literally, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that too. Uh, so, meditation, and what that does, it gives you this sense of calm, right? This, this anchor. And the other thing is, I, we are the result of programming, every one of us. Everything we've been programmed our entire lives, right? And so what you need to do is to deprogram, right? So I, I do like a lot of uh, affirmations. So there's meditations and there's affirmations. And the affirmations, pick them wisely, right? And it's all about reprogramming. We are what we think we are, right? That's it. And we're actually greater than we think we are, right? So affirmations, and I do that a lot. And then a lot of uh, rituals throughout the day that allow me time. So I, one of the things I do every morning is I get my coffee, I grind it to a very specific grind. I heat my water to a very specific temperature. And then I, I get my cone out and I'm, you know, I'm doing that. And then, you know, and, and this ritual, rituals I love. I love rituals because it gives you a moment. It's about you. And while you're making whatever it is, a cup of coffee or whatever that is, it's, a hip, it's very hypnotic. And you just go into yourself and you start thinking about everything. Um, I started to uh, sleep on the ground, grounding, right? So I don't, I have a bed. We have a bed, my wife and I. I sleep next to it. I sleep next to it. <laughs> <laughs> so funny like the bed has become I don't know what it is you know, we're trying to sell it if you want to buy a beautiful uh, hardwood contemporary bed it's king size um, so I'll sign it <laughs> it's going to be worth millions um, so, so we're sleeping on the ground and literally some blankets on the floor and not even a pillow. And uh, there's something about grounding, and we were talking about tree hugging and whatnot. There's something about taking off your shoes and just walking outside, like especially on grass, on sand, touching plants, trees, or whatever that is. There's something, there's something about that. And it is, it is science as well. Yeah. It's a transfer of electrons between uh, nature and us, positive and ne negative. And there's something about that. There's something about that. All of these together, uh, the last one is uh, what I eat. You know, so you have, have a look at what it is that agrees with you and what doesn't. Um, and, and exercise is the last one. And the reason I, I bought this, it's a very long way of, of answering your question. I, it, there's not one answer. There's not one thing. It's a series of things that I think you need to do across your entire life, including who are you hanging out with? Who are you listening to that's bullshit? 
right? What do you need to, what's taking up way too much of your time that shouldn't? Like I'm not on social anymore. I don't have social media apps on my phone anymore. I don't even know what's happening in the world. Still, but I trust there's people out there who are like doing good, you know? So it, it's many things. It's not one thing. And try all of these things that I just spoke about. Mm. That's brilliant. Next question. How do you not get caught up in your own hype so you can keep going, learning, experimenting? Uh, I, I think, again, think of it as a path, right? So just think of it as the journey. Just keep on going. Um, I, I don't know. Like, any, does anybody get caught up in their own hype? Yeah? So those are the people you need to stay away from. <laughs> so that's a sign. <laughs> okay? So if you're caught up in your own hype, like what, like, what sort of person is that? Like, you know, so, so, so I think, um, yeah, just think, think of it as just a path. Like, it, it doesn't mean don't celebrate the great things that, that happen to you. That's awesome. Celebrate, you know, uh, but it's just one point. I don't think, by the way, I don't think it ever stops. I don't think it ever stops. It's, a, it's an ongoing path. The only finite thing I think, well, I, I can argue that it's it's not finite also, but it's death. If you think death is the end. Everything between birth and death is just a path. It goes on forever. There is no end. If you become CEO or CF, that's not the end. That's not the summit. It's not, it's never the summit. There is no summit, stop chasing summits. It's just a path. It's, it's a journey. It's a journey. All right. Uh, going back to the job market, do you think interviews, sorry, interviewers appreciate and recognize your skill set, considering they are quite specific with the interview process, so strength, weakness, and so on, and can't exactly relate to your company-specific challenges? I, I think a, a revolution needs to happen in HR. You know, and and there's some great talks on TED about that as well. That I, I encourage every HR professional to watch, but I think a huge revolution needs to happen, you know, uh, and I think they are, if they don't, if it doesn't, it, it, I think it's going to happen, this revolution. It's, HR is going to get disrupted because we change, we're changing, right? We're just saying that you, you haven't had a live event in a year, you know, everything's been online and, you know, and it's, it's changed how we work, how we communicate, how we say hello. Nobody shook hands here today. Everybody just fist bumped, right? But a year ago, if I fist bumped people, they'd be like, what a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you just go like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, what a weirdo. You know, um, what was your question again? <laughs> oh, HR. Um, so, yeah, so I, I have to say, I've been in so many terrible interviews. Like, I've left humiliated. Humiliated. The shit that they tell me. That's just, it's, it's unnecessary, and it's, it's humiliating. And, you know, I leave there feeling like shit. Like, I'm, I'm nothing, you know? And you can't, you can't change them. 
but you you can just keep moving. You got to keep moving. It sucks. It sucks. I know it's going to change one day, you know. And and I would say, um, find find the sort of people you want to work for. And and if you're an in, in an interview where whoever it is or a set of people don't appreciate you and, and what you've done, that's just a sign. You're going to be miserable if they do hire you. If they change their mind, they're like, oh, we changed our mind. You don't suck. We're going to hire you. I promise you, you're going to be miserable. So take it as a sign. Okay, last question. Do you have people that you can trust to balance your ideas off of? If so, how do you find the balance between the optimist and the naysayers? So that, that's a really great question. And I think with entrepreneurs, there, there's so many people who are quick to give you advice from books they've read, right? And it's just, so what, you, what I do is I look for people who have gone through the struggle themselves in their own lives. You know, they've been on the street. They've been through wars. You understand, right? But there's not a lot of people like that. There's actually very few people like that. Most people have just been like, you know, chill and, you know, they've read a lot of great books and they highlight quotes and they read you those quotes, you know? And uh, I think stay away from those people, you know? Gravitate to those people who are... Uh, who've been through wars. And, and those are the people that I listen to, that I bounce ideas off of. And of course, they must care about you. They must care about you. It's, that's, that's the most important. So whether that's family, so I bounce a lot of things off of, I ask my wife a lot of questions, what does she think, and, you know, and, and so forth, my family. And then there's, there's a few people in my life across different ages, different industries or whatever. I've known them for, for quite some time. And they are just super honest with me. They've been through wars, and they just tell it like it is. And, and because they've been through wars, they've been there. So they're like, this is what happened when I did it. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, that is, I wish, and by the way, I, ha I found these people, I had, when I think back, I always had those sort of people. There was a time when I was 18, or seven, I was 17, and uh, my principal said, Mohammed, uh, you know, maybe you should consider a career in hotel management and, in high school. <laughs> so, so I thought, yeah, that's my life. I'm gonna be in the hotel business, you know? And I, I, tra I remember training at an intercontinental hotel here in Dubai in banquets, and, and there was this one guy, Mr. Cecil, <laughs> you know, he was like Poe from Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> you know, and, and just he would not say anything. But when I screwed up, you know, he would tell me something that just stuck with me. And he would not say it in anger, whatever that is. You know, he would literally say it like an old Chinese master. You know, and Mr. Cecil was from India. He. He'd been through wars in the, in the hospitality industry, and he was the banquet manager. And I, this one time, we had, uh, we had to set up uh, an event for 1,500 people. It was a wedding, and it was the first time that I was 
I was a waiter and I had, I decided to put a shitload of sodas and I was like, yeah, I could do this, you know? And I, I walked out, I walked in the kitchen outside and I had all these glasses of ice cold sodas, like orange and, and Coke and like everything. And I heard somebody say, uh, excuse me, uh, can I have a drink? And, and I turned and time just stopped. Cause I look, I'm like, there's like 15 glasses full of ice cold water heading towards this guy's head. And it just fell on him and he was soaked. And I just remember like apologizing and looking and there's Mr. Cecil. <laughs> and he just, he was just looking at me and he's like, okay, clean that up and do all these things. And we went in the back and he's like, I was like, oh my God. And he's like, Never carry more than you can handle. <laughs> I swear. There's been Mr. Cecil's my entire life. And I look for Mr. Cecil's. You know, there's Manoj Nakra, there's Ritesh Tilani, there's, you know, my wife Tanya, and, you know, uh, my brother Paymon, uh, SMR. Like, so there, there's, there's, there's very few of these people, but those are the sort of people you must find and listen to not the people who are dishing out advice uh, dime a dozen.